Welcome to Hustling Faith. This podcast is dedicated to helping you find your trail to a happier, healthier you by discussing topics regarding Christianity, health and wellness, beauty, and so much more. I'm your host, Tasha Johnson. In today's episode, we're going to discuss Make It Make Sense. Why do you want a seat at the table? I'm talking about today's topic because I'm coming across way too many people who don't seem to know their worth or just don't have that confidence or that push to just finally go ahead and do whatever it is that they need to do. And one of the reasons why I want to discuss today's topic, again, this can this topic can apply to anyone, but I'm going to specifically hone in on why do you want to see at the table? And I'm gearing this topic more towards Black women, mainly because of some of the experiences that I've had in the past, some conversations that I've had recently. And one of the reasons that really prompted me to discuss this topic is because of a recent experience that I had at a beauty supply store. And a lot of folks... um, I know I have a pretty diverse audience that listens to this podcast. So the beauty supply store that I'm talking about is very different than a lot of the beauty salons that you may think about, okay? Um, I went to a typical beauty supply store in a predominantly African-American neighborhood, okay? Um, And what that means is that the beauty supply store is ran by Korean Americans. <laughs> um, we'll get into that in a little bit. But again, uh, I went to one of these beauty supply stores, again, that are typically ran by Korean Americans. And um, I normally don't go to these shops for a variety of reasons, which I will get into later in uh, this episode. But let me just explain what happened. So I ran out of something that I needed. I knew I was going to be doing my hair later that week. And ladies, you know how that is. (laughs) So I went to Sally Beauty Supply, went to Target, couldn't find what I was looking for. But I just, in my gut, I felt like, as much as I hate to do this, I think I'm going to have to go to the beauty supply store. And so that's what I did. I went to the beauty supply store. I went in. Of course, as soon as you walk into the shop, it's like all eyes on you. Like you're going to steal something right away and it's just ridiculous. But anyway, so I went around, made eye contact with the owner. Hey, I'm looking for, and I literally described what I was looking for. It was these ear protectors. So like when you're dyeing your hair or you're doing some sort of uh, treatment, you can put these things on your ear. They're kind of like earmuffs, but not. Anyway, I'll leave a picture in case you're curious. But I was looking for these. And so I described it to him and he's like, oh yeah, we've got it. We've got it. And by the way, I kid you not, many times they'll say they have stuff and they don't. It's, I, I, I don't understand that. But anyway, so he's like, oh, yeah, we have it. And so there was a black woman that was standing on the side who worked at the store as well. And she's like, do you even know what she's asking for? And she said it just like, <laughs> she said it just like that. I could tell like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, what did I step into? And but I could also sense her frustration because Many times the beauty supply store owners don't even know why these products exist and how we use them and things of that nature. So he's like, yeah, uh, for the ear. So he literally repeated what I said. But to her point, 
I don't think he knew what I was talking about either. So I immediately directed my the rest of my conversation to her and described, hey, I'm looking for these earmuffs. You know what I'm saying? Like the ones that you use for like maybe a relaxer or dyeing your hair or whatever. And she's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and she's like, well, let me just, he kept, the owner kept saying it's in aisle two or whatever. So she's like, let's go. I don't think he knows what he's talking about, but <laughs> that's what she said. She's like, I don't think he knows what he's talking about, but let's go check. So we go over to the aisle and I said, you do know what I'm talking about. She's like, of course I do. So we go to aisle two, lo and behold, she was right. They didn't have it. And she proceeds to tell me, hey, check out Sally's or just get it on Amazon. It's much cheaper. So I thought about that and I was like, okay, I thanked her for her time and left the store. And that whole experience made me think about why do we want to seat at the table? And this immediately popped into my head because that whole experience that I went through is something that so many people go through on a daily basis, especially Black women. And I'm just going to hone in on this example of the Black hair care industry and beauty industry in whole. You know, Black people, uh, especially Black women, are known as trendsetters. But many times, a lot of our the industries and the trends and the things that we create are not are not uh, properly, we're not comp- properly compensated for those things, right? So I'm going to get back to the beauty supply store example. Now, some of you may be shocked by this. Again, many of my Black uh, listeners are probably not. Many of the beauty supply stores that are in Black neighborhoods are owned by Korean Americans, okay? Um, there's a variety of reasons for why this is the case, but let me just set the scene for his, <laughs> for a moment here. So in 2019, African-American buying power stood at $1.4 trillion and is expected to reach $1.8 trillion by 2024, okay? Now, just to provide even more perspective, back in 2018, okay, these numbers have only gone up, not back. Just to provide, again, even more perspective, in 2018, the black hair care industry raked in an estimated $2.5 uh, $2.5 billion as black consumers have progressively switched from using general products, you know, products that are made for everyone, to those that specifically cater towards them. Okay. Now, how do I explain this? The black hair care industry is predominantly, and I kid you not, predominantly owned by Korean Americans. And the reason why is because uh, the, the Asian community, again, in particular, Korean Americans, have made it incredibly difficult for Black-owned beauty supply chains to exist. And the reason why is because of export laws. And honestly, they just want to sell to their own. And when I mean their own, I'm saying to other Korean business owners, they just want to sell hair, other black, uh, black, uh, black beauty supply products to other Korean Americans so they could set up their own shops to sell those products to us. <laughs> I know that makes no sense to a lot of you that are listening um, that are not black. So I get it. It's just as ridiculous as it sounds to me, all right? And it's even more insulting 
to me. Because a lot of these uh, beauty supply stores, again, if you go into a black neighborhood and you see a beauty supply store, um, for those that are not black, I highly recommend you go check one out because it is a whole nother experience. Because quite frankly, nothing is merchandised the way that you would expect it to be merchandised. A lot of the products that you see in the stores are oftentimes, um, the way that they're merchandised is basically... Which reps actually went into these stores and made a relationship? You know, they they tried to foster a relationship with the owner. I know because I used to work in the black hair care industry. And um, actually, I'll get into that story in a minute. But I know this firsthand. So a lot of the way that you will see products merchandised is based off of relationships with the owners. That's quite frankly how it is. It's kind of like a war zone when you go into some of these stores. And so... The company that I worked for was um, it was owned by a white family, and they realized how lucrative the black hair care industry was. And so they hired me and another black woman to help them grow their black hair care line that they purchased from someone else. And so it was literally the two of us. And again, I was younger than the other woman. She was older than me. And so some of my ideas were like more geared towards getting a younger demographic. And but it was kind of like pulling teeth, like having to explain the obvious, like we need a website. We need a website that actually has people demonstrating the effects of how these products would work. It was like pulling teeth. We didn't even have a sales staff to really go into all of these different beauty supply stores to sell in the product. That's another thing. Selling in a product to... um a beauty supply store is totally different than selling into Target, okay? They have so many products and none of them are really merchandised properly. And so if you're coming in there with a display, you're taking up space. That display better sell out or they're going to put it to the back or somewhere else where it doesn't take up that much space. And so, you know, I was working for this family and I just saw firsthand how it it, it kind of infuriated me at the same time. Like I, I I was learning a lot, but at the same time, it was just I was I felt myself getting angrier and angrier because everyone seems to be profiting off of this industry, but the actual people that use the products, right? And even when I used to go, again, I worked in this industry for a year or so. And so I had the privilege of being able to go to the hair care shows. I mean, I think that's why to this day I hate going to trade shows because it's just, whew, it's a lot of work when you go to trade shows. People think it's like glamorous and, oh, you get to run around and see all these different products, but it's it's it, it, it's exhausting. It's <laughs> That's what it is, especially when you have to create the set and break it down the set, which is what I had to do as well. Long story on that one. But you know, I used to go to the Bronner Brothers Hair Show. I used to go to, um, what was it, the American Beauty Hair Show. I've gone to Atlanta a ton of times. Um, I've gone to the Distributor Row. They have like this one street that is pretty much owned by all of the distributors, okay? All of the distributors that uh, distribute product to the Korean, um, to the to the so there's a Korean business association that owns all of these beauty supply stores, okay? Their headquarters is pretty much in Atlanta, okay? And there's this street that's they refer to as Wholesaler Row. It's been so many years, but I believe it's Wholesaler Row or something like that. So literally, all of the folks that need products for their stores 
will go either go directly, like fly to Atlanta directly and go and purchase these products at those distributors, or they will, um, you know, have stuff shipped from the, this particular area. And so I actually had the opportunity to go into these to go to these uh, distributor warehouses, if you will. And it was just like, it it was such an eye-opening experience because their catering, right? Their whole entire business is built off of African-Americans. But when I went in there to to these distributors, they're looking at me like, as like, what are you doing here? Like, like I couldn't be on the business side, you know? I can only be a consumer, not a business person. So, you know, it, it oftentimes I would have to, I would go with a, like another salesperson um, who obviously was white uh, because again, it was a, a family business. So I would go with them or yeah, I, I would go with them because it, it was, it was pretty interesting. Like, honestly, I thought to myself, if I ever had to come here by myself, I wonder if they would let me in. I really thought that. And so all of this is circling back to that moment. Like, I, I don't know, it was just weird, that moment where I was back at the beauty supply store. Again, this is one of the reasons why I don't really like going to those stores, because many times the owners look at the folks that are pretty much keeping them in business, right? Keeping them in business, keeping them with food on the table, with contempt. Like, they don't want to own these stores. They don't want this to be their clientele. And when I say this, I mean like those, you know, black people to be their clientele. That's exactly how you feel when you go into those stores. And so there has been some like unofficial tension. There's always been tension between those two communities, if you will. And that's primarily why. And literally up until a couple years ago, and I mean a couple years ago, I mean like within probably the last 10 years, they finally started hiring black employees because a lot of people were like I'm tired of going through these stores giving them my money mainly because you know at the time the internet wasn't flourishing with all of these other black owned brands right so those stores those beauty supply stores were oftentimes the only resource many black people had to go to to get products because if they didn't live near a Walmart or a Target, and again, many times these are not in those their neighborhood, they oftentimes would have to go like a half hour or an hour to get to one of those spots. So if you didn't have that as an option, guess what? Beauty supply store it is. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people got sick of being <sighs> mistreated and whatnot. And so a lot of these um, stores were boycotted for quite a bit. You know, and they, the Korean Americans finally realized, okay, wait, you know, we kind of got to get ourselves together. And when I say Korean Americans, I realize not everyone, okay, let's be adults here. What I'm saying is primarily, okay, that are in within this industry. So many of them realized, okay, we're going to lose customers if we don't start hiring the people that we are supposed to be servicing in the first place. However, and so, and so again, business started to pick back up. Here we are, right? However, that has not translated to the other side, okay? There are, and I'm going to leave some statistics on the website as always. There are, it's estimated that African-Americans own less than 1%, <laughs> less than 1% of the beauty supply market share 
despite nine times more grooming products than any other ethnic group. That makes no sense. All right. And the reason why is because, again, what I alluded to before, export laws and just making it difficult for black people to actually gain the ability to buy those products that they need to get into distribution. Right. So like the Ginnies, the B sales, all these companies are pretty much only going to sell to their you know, they're, they're, they're people. They're not going to sell to Black people so they can start their own beauty supply store. So all of that to say this, it just got me thinking more and more. And again, I've had some other conversations, experiences, and just, it just got me thinking, why do you want to seat at the table? It's a phrase that I've grown up with hearing and, you know, more recently I've had some things happen that have just been making me wonder that more and more. Why do you want a seat at the table? And so many people, I know what they mean when they ask for that seat at the table. What they really mean is I just want an opportunity, you know, I just want an opportunity to have a chance to 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 be around those people that might be able to get me to my next move, right? But why do you want to seat at the table with people who clearly don't want you there, with people who have never extended an invitation for you to sit at that table, right? Me, and I totally get it. I, I understand why so many people are just like, I just want to see at the table. When I was younger, I used to feel that way, especially when I graduated from college. I had the hardest time trying to get a job. I worked my butt off. I worked full-time, attended college full-time. I did both, okay? So I would work from 8 to 4.30, then go to school at night from 5.45 to 9, four days a week for four years I did that, only to graduate and have to work different temp jobs to make ends meet, right? And, you know, a lot of that was discrimination. I'm being flat out. I, I mean, that's what it was. A lot of it was discrimination. A lot of it was, you know, if it wasn't race. It was against my age because, you know, I didn't have 10 years of experience because I had just graduated from college, but I did have a lot of experience most, you know, than most college kids did because I wasn't a normal college kid. So if it if it wasn't one thing, it was another, right? So when I hear that phrase, why do you want to see at the table? Based on my experiences and just things I've been through and just seeing how society is set up in general, I don't want to seat at the table. <laughs> I want to make my own table. And I just wish so many more people would realize that themselves. Stop asking for a seat at the table. Okay? Evaluate evaluate what it is that you, why you want to sit at that table in the first place, okay? And then go build your own because that's what's going to take you to the next level. And the reason why I'm stating build your own is because of three reasons. One, control, okay? I don't know about you, but especially seeing how how much is changing, right? Due to the pandemic, you know, I think a lot of employees are really starting to realize that they have more power than what they think. And so you don't need a seat at the table. What you need to do is focus on building your own table so you can control the narrative, okay? Because when you sit at someone else's table, 
They're telling you what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And guess what? Even if you keep striving, you know, achieving every one of those milestones that people are telling you that you have to achieve in order to sit at the table, they keep moving the goalpost. They just keep moving the goalpost. And again, this concept, this whole topic applies to everyone, but I'm especially focusing on Black women because, well, you know, I'm a Black woman myself, (laughs) for starters. But again, just I, I just want us to really focus on the fact that we don't need to see at the table. We can build our own table and we can control our own narrative. You know, I was reading something not too long ago about Issa Rae. And again, she super popular. She, you know, created Insecure, Awkward Black Girl. And um, it was an eye-opening interview because it was very interesting to me that people kept telling her, oh, you've got to add white characters in order for people to really, you know, in order for them to really notice your content. Now, Issa Rae is Black, for those of you who don't know who she is, um, What's interesting to me about that comment is that so much of that seems to be real life, right? In order to really move ahead, you got to get someone white to notice this or notice that. And so tying this back to Hollywood, getting back to that article, they said, you got to have someone white. Add, Add some white characters. And this is so frustrating to me. Black people, other ethnicities watch TV shows all the time with people with watch shows all the time with folks that don't represent them but yet and still we can watch the show and enjoy it why is that not the case vice versa you know it's like we have to always cater our content in order to make sure that it applies to white people but not vice versa so again just another example of You want to create your own table so you can control the narrative. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I love um, Kev on stage is a really funny comedian. Okay. Hilarious. He's got, he's created a streaming app called Kev on stage studios and it's literally content. It's so refreshing to watch content on that streaming app because it's not focused on Black people as slaves, Black people as, you know, like a a biography that's going to make me sad, or Black people fighting against the elements and the projects. Like, literally, it is a streaming app of people who look like me, sound like me. There's comedy. There's um, drama. There's, it's, it's like, it's just refreshing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. There's cooking shows. There's traveling shows. It's just literally Black people living their life and enjoying their life. It's it's seeing people that are having joyful experiences and not always geared towards struggle. It's a place where I could go to just escape. You know what I mean? And hopefully this isn't, this is making sense, but I want to build my own table because I want to control the narrative. You know, I don't want to always be beholden to someone else's rules. I don't want to um, have to feel like I've got to act a certain way or do all of these different things in order to get to my destination. I'm going to create my own path to get there and then rest at my own table. 
<laughs> and and that's another reason, one of the main reasons why I want to create my own table as well is because I really do want that control. I am a control freak. I don't want anyone else in charge of my destiny, you know, and I want to make sure that I own my own content. Like that's one of the major reasons why um, TikTok is currently in trouble, right? Black people pretty much made TikTok, okay? I'm just going to call it because a lot of the dances, a lot of the content that that's funny and the dances that you see on there are primarily from Black creators. Unfortunately, it is not made popular until a white influencer sees the dance and then they have a huge following and then, you know, that Black content creator is very rarely, if ever, given any sort of compensation or even acknowledgement that they were the ones who created the content in the first place. Um, I, I think we all heard about Jimmy Fallon. Like he got in trouble that Addison Ray girl literally stole like a whole bunch of black TikTok dances and she was able to come on Jimmy Fallon and literally dance them all horribly wrong, by the way. It was just a hot mess to watch. It was very sad. But anyway, she was able to Come on, Jimmy Fallon, do all of these dances that she did not create a single one of them, right? And then a lot of people called Fallon and Jimmy Fallon, and they're, you know, he made an apology, of course, did the apology thing like we've seen so many times. And then the creators of the dances were brought on Zoom. I thought that was pretty crappy. Should have had them come on the show, but he had them on Zoom. And they all got a chance to, you know, do the dance that they created themselves. So again, see at the table is not worth the price of admission many times because you have to give up control. Which brings me to my next point. Another reason why I would never want to have a seat at that table that someone else built is because those folks at that table might not have as vested an interest in whatever you're trying to do as you will. Okay, perfect example, the black hair care industry. Many of the folks that have money in this industry are not black, unfortunately. Okay, um, a lot of, like I just said before, a lot of the black beauty supply stores are owned by Korean Americans. There's a lot of um, white people that are in the industry as well. And so a lot of the folks that are at these tables don't have as vested an interest into the products and services that we need as we would, right? So a lot of people, and again, Black women are noticing this. And so I've been noticing and I've been so excited by seeing this. So many Black-owned beauty brands are popping up all over the place. And I will leave a link to many of the brands that I use. And in fact, in a couple of weeks, I wanted to do another episode highlighting some of these uh, brands as well, because I've been using a lot of these brands, because it's important to me to support other people's dreams. And, you know, I'm not a rich person, but I need these products too, right? <laughs> Especially the hair ones. Um, so... I try to support in however I can, but a lot of us are starting to take advantage of the fact that technology has allowed us the opportunity to have the internet, right? We have the internet. We have the ability to ship our own products. We can create our products and ship them and, and take products just like a regular store can, you know, Shopify, Etsy, um, 
some of us have our own websites, uh, what WooCommerce, all of these things have enabled us to be in a position to really try and make a go of it on our own. And there are so many people that are winning. It's just you don't see these type of stories in the media. And and that's super frustrating because, you know, there seems to be so much negativity that's focused on our communities. But these stories you don't see. And another thing in terms of vested interest is, to me, it's almost... It's 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 a miracle when I do see a lot of us be so successful because it is almost impossible, next to impossible, to get the resources and capital we need in order to really scale the way that other companies are able to scale. And I'm going to leave a couple articles on the website. Even with great credit, a lot of banks still do not want to loan to Black people. There are so many different barriers that one has to overcome in order to get a loan. And quite frankly, you know, I was reading, uh, again, I'm always reading articles, guys, so I'm, I'm a big reader. But I, w- I came across this article that a lot of businesses, especially Black people, were started during the pandemic. Quite a few businesses were started during the pandemic because some of that stimulus money, a lot of folks were like, you know what? I finally have a nice sum of money. And I know to a lot of folks that that the amount was given at the stim- as a stimulus check wasn't a ton of money to quite a few people out there, right? But to some of these people, it is the world. And so they took that money and were able to start businesses with that money. In fact, I will leave a link to one of my podcast interviews that I did for Starring You about a woman who did just just that. And she started her own spice care line with her stimulus check. And let me tell you, her spices are fire. They are so good. So please check out her uh, shop because it's really good. She started her business with stimulus money. And she's not the only one who did that. So a lot of us have a vested interest in what we're actually doing. But we don't necessarily have the capital or the resources to really make a go of it. And you still have to think about, regardless of the fact that you may not have the resources to make a go of it, you still don't want to be sitting at somebody else's table. You can make it happen. You may have to be more patient. You may have to be more creative. You may have to save and do different things, but you can still make it happen. Okay? It's just going to take a little bit longer. And that's one of the reasons why I think, too, you know, I'm really passionate about this particular subject because I don't want a seat at someone else's table, quite frankly. I'm, I'm really focused on making my own. I have no problems. And when I mean this, guys, when I say I want to make my own, I'm not saying get out there, quit your job, you're nine to five. No, that's silly. What I'm saying is don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's what I'm saying, Okay. Do something else outside of your nine to five that makes you happy and also is something that you feel that you might be able to, you know, if you had the ability to scale, is something that you would enjoy doing, you know, outside of your nine to five. That in the event that your nine to five went away, this is something that you could actually see yourself doing. That's what I'm saying. So when I say build your own table, that's what I mean by that. Stop looking 
for others to give you an opportunity. You know, you don't need other people. What you need is confidence in yourself and a plan, quite frankly, to make that happen. So there are always going to be barriers in this life, but it's up to you to figure out how to overcome those barriers. And what is beautiful about that, which brings me to my last point, when you are able to create your own table, you're creating a safe space. And what I mean by that is when you create your own table, you're going to have the ability to invite other people that are like-minded, just like you, that are sharing the interests. They, they want to grow. They want to nurture whatever that particular topic or interest that you have is. You can bring those people to your table, okay? You can bring those people to your table. You have the ability to really cultivate a beautiful, beautiful opportunity for other people that you weren't given yourself, okay? So I'm all about doing that. You know, I belong to quite a few different Facebook groups and I'm always trying to garner different resources to help other people out. And what I love about this is a lot of the groups that I belong to, we realize how difficult it is for us to get capital, right? Because a lot of the venture capitalist groups there's, you know, uh, let's be real. They're not trying to loan to us, right? So a lot of the groups that I belong to, many of them have formed their own mini banks, if you will. Like, it's crazy. Like, it's it kind of reminds me back of, like, um, <sighs> the Black Wall Street in a weird way. Some of the groups that I belong to because there's so many talented Black people in business that just don't get the props that they should be getting. But so many of us have also started our venture capital firms, if you will. So I I just, you know, I will definitely call out some of those folks on the website as well, because these folks saw a need and, you know, they, they went after it. They went to fill that particular need. I, I just felt like I needed to get this off of my chest. I hope this made sense. I, I didn't want to come off as rambling. But again, I just had so many different um, experiences have happened to me in this past couple of weeks. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. I'll just leave it at that. But I've had so many experiences in conversations and just know your worth. That's all. That's all. You know, if you can't, if you have no idea what I was talking about today, all I want to just say is know your worth based on everything that I've just shared. You're probably wondering why you ever wanted an invitation to the table in the first place, right? Let's leverage and embrace our knowledge and the resources we have available to us to build an even bigger table. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed listening to Hustle and Faith and would like to support the show, please consider sharing it with your friends, leaving a review, donating, or making a purchase at Starring You Crew, our fitness apparel shop. Be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Pinterest. Remember, if you're everything to everyone, the risk be no one. You never know who you will inspire. See you in the next episode.